Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For just $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all the past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or smugfilm.com or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes. Plus, we will do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Your movie, your small business, how cool you are, your Twitter handle, whatever it is, we'll plug it. For $10 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes. Plus, we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on every single episode of the show. That's four episodes a month. That's an incredible deal. So once again, the URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico Yo. and Jenna Ipcar. Howdy, y'all. All right. Today we're talking about The Hateful Eight, which I finally saw after not seeing for so damn long. I didn't I didn't go to the road show how, Roadhouse show or I, I, didn't, I saw Roadhouse, the movie, uh, but that's not... What that was? What was it? The road show and the traveling circus? No, it was Roadhouse. They just played Roadhouse, and everyone saw Roadhouse. Yeah, there was seventy millimeter road show, which Brad Avery went to, and uh, that's basically it. Possibly in the whole world. Did you go to it? You didn't. No. Catch that, Jenna? You didn't catch that? No. No, you caught it the other night, right? Yeah, I also watched it recently. I was on the fence because, honestly, personally, I've been out of love with Tarantino for a while now, but you know. What's the one of his that does it for you? I feel like looking back, I feel like Kill Bill, the first one still, it's like suddenly my favorite. Yeah. It's weird because when I saw that in theaters, my reaction for like a month was like, that's a movie. Like I just didn't, like it was just weird. It was just so out there and bizarre for some reason. It just, oh, that one blew me away. Were you blown away by Kill Bill? I've never really been a big Tarantino person. Yeah. I liked Kill Bill fine. Reservoir Dogs I like a lot. Inglorious Bastards, I think, is great. And the rest of them, I, I'm just not that interested. I've never hmm. been that interested. See, Inglorious Bastards like th- killed th- me. I couldn't, I didn't like it. The thought of discussing Hateful Eight for like an hour in 2016, I mean, like I'm already staring at the door. Well, if, you, <laughs> if, you're, listening, if you're listening at home and you're like, great, they're doing a whole episode on Hateful Eight. Uh, More like the plate full of plate. Regret. Plate full of plate. Yeah. Yeah. We've been trying to come up with Hateful Eight puns. Before we started recording, uh, we got a grateful ape, which, which is, is good. It tells a story. Yeah, it's it's a reference to to grape ape, the uh, the answer to Magilla Gorilla. You know, I really like the hatful ape because they had so many hats. Yeah, that's a good one. That's that's the most like appropriate. Hat, yeah, hatful ape, like hatful boyfriend. What's hatful boyfriend? It's like a dating sim where you date pigeons. <laughs> All right. Like I'm not kidding. I'll allow it. I got to see that. Do they have human personalities, or are they like? Yeah. See, I'd like it. I They're would do it school. if they didn't have human personalities. <laughs> like if you really just had to woo a pigeon. <laughs> That's Is beautiful. there an app like that? Because I would do it. Maybe I would do it right now. All right. So, <laughs> hateful eight. 
I uh, I did not like this one. I think Jenny, you're the only one who kind of liked it. Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. So, and Glorious Bastards, I really didn't. I don't understand why everyone loves it. That said, it had good moments to it. I didn't hate it. Django, on the other hand, I like. It was okay to watch, but then afterwards I was like, what the fuck was it? Like, why would I even watch that? Like, I just, I have no interest in ever revisiting that one. Yeah, same here. And it sucks I saw that once, I'm good. Yeah, the, 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 like, idea was interesting. And even, like, the idea of it being this remake, but in this place and time. Like, I liked the, the concept, but I just, I hated the execution. And then, so for this one... I actually sort of found it charming and, and interesting. And the, I think the reason why is because it reminded me of that one scene in Inglorious Bastards, which is the only scene I actually really liked in that movie where uh, all the German officers are playing a drinking game. And that's what this, that, but so it's that, but for three hours. I don't know. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get that vibe from uh, Hateful Eight. I didn't, it didn't feel like that scene to me. Hateful Eight, just most of all, I, I remember John D'Amigo's observation of it, which is that it's probably his worst script which uh, definitely that's that's what came through strongest for me when I was watching it. It was just like, this is not a well-written movie. It's also his worst editing. Yeah. Which is a big problem for him going forward because all of his movies up to and including Inglorious Bastards had the same editor. Yeah. Who was wonderful. Rest in peace, Sally Menke. Yeah. And then this and Django didn't. And this and Django both felt so flabby to me. Yeah. Neither of them had the same tension that any of his others did. He's got to figure something out. You know what? I thought this held up some tension, except what I hated. There were two big missteps in my mind, which was uh, Samuel L. Jackson's entire flashback scene where he's explaining. Oh, God, it was so bad. That just, it was just useless. There's no point. Wait, which one? Where he's talking about what he's doing to Bruce Dern's son. Oh, God. Yeah. No point. And it was like an hour long. Yeah. And it was only to set up that one, the the idea that someone's doing something while he's distracting everyone. And it was like, eh. And was any of the visuals necessary? Like he was, he was. None of it. Yeah. It's not like he was badly acting what he was saying. Like you just. No, he was fine. It was fine with just his work. It's like in putting the images in your mind. Like why why it not just been, have it yeah, as that? It would have been way creepier actually yeah. if he had just continued. But then again, the whole thing felt like it just totally superfluous. And yeah, it was like that was like the extra hour in the Especially movie. because like the staging of it, like the flashback was so wooden. Like it was almost like a woody uh, uh not a woody, uh a uh, well, there was a woody in it. There, there was a woody in it. <laughs> But uh, it was almost like Wes Anderson staging. It was like just two people like coming together. Like. This whole thing had that vibe because he's gotten really into, and he's done interviews about this uh, television westerns in the 60s. I mean, he's got really gotten into like Charles Marquis Warren, which is why, isn't the guy's name in it Marquis Warren or Charles Marquis or something? Mm. I, I don't remember. Samuel but. L. Jackson, his character. Yeah. No, I don't remember. You either. just saw this. <laughs> I'm, I I didn't like it. <laughs> it's like either Charles Marquis or Marquis Warren. I forget why, but I forget which one, but it's because he's named after the director, Charles Marquis Warren. They're all named after Western directors. Mm. And like, he's really gotten into the vibe of those, those 60s television Westerns, which always were very flat and, and sort of stagey. Mm. But well, the trouble is they were 30 minutes long. You know? Yeah. And this is two yeah. hours and like 47. Yeah. And I really don't think it justifies its its runtime one bit. No. I could have been okay with the stage. Well, I thought, you know, I, I also thought another thing, though this, I think the other misstep, by the way, was having that narrator come in out of nowhere. You mean him? 
Yeah. You mean fucking Tarantino coming in and turning on the audio commentary it on was, his own movie? It like was terrible. In? I mean, it made no sense, and it I took you so that. out of that it. That was the worst. That was that was so appallingly uh, disruptive. Yeah, it, and it was it felt lazy. That's when it felt like, well, they couldn't edit it right, so he decided, like, I'm just going to tell you guys what's happening. And yeah. he was like, no. Like- and it's a trick he's done really well. I mean, he does that really well, something like that in Kill Bill, you know? Like the weird anime flashbacks and the weird almost breaking the fourth wall kind of time shifting in Kill Bill really worked. And I think it's become very clear that that's Sally Menke. And here it was a, it felt like a crutch. It felt like, well, we need this because this isn't working without it and we can't figure it out. It's because they should It didn't feel like necessary. Yeah, if they had cut out the Samuel L. Jack, because it's immediately after that. And if they had cut out his whole speech, they could have kept up the momentum and they wouldn't have needed the narrator. That's That's like why it felt lame. You know, if they just continued it instead of stopping and taking you out of it and trying to set something up that no one cares about, you know, like I don't really care about Bruce Stern's son. Like the the guy's a creep. Sound you know done. Like you know who am I meant to be feeling for? I meant to feel like I would say that section's probably the weakest part of the film. Right. Also, they and like a little bit before that when they're just kind of setting up uh, everybody. Just like it feels like at a certain point nobody has anything to do. Like, I think like 30 or 40 minutes in the film, like, like there's no pressing need to do anything. And I think that's when it gets really weak when everyone's just like it's hanging out talking. after Kurt goes, but before Goggins really starts to take charge. Yeah. You know, there's that sort of like dead zone. But see, that's kind of what I liked about it, though. I like the sort of pacing of that movie. That it, oh, I, it God, really brought I fucking me, hated that it's, pacing. I could not do that pacing. It brought me, though, into sort of feeling like it was actually a, a strong place in time because that's something that Tarantino doesn't really ever do. It's usually always Tarantino-verse, whereas this felt like it could have taken place in the time, you know, give or take some shitty dialogue. And then... What like, do you mean? I don't because there's a lot of downtime when when you're. No, know, I don't. I don't understand how you're defining a time right now. Do you? No, really. I don't even understand that question. No, I mean you said it feels like a place and uh, setting. Yeah, I mean like it feels like it, this sort of like post Civil War. You're in the middle of nowhere, traveling. Uh, you know, you know. Oh, it, you mean it feels real as opposed to more real than other Tarantino movies that feel like they take place in his own universe. You know, like a David Lynch movie doesn't feel real. And I feel like Tarantino has a very similar sort of otherworldly style. See, this never felt real to me at all because the dialogue was so, the dialogue's um, bad, not even bad, just artificial, which could have, I mean, Inglorious Bastards doesn't feel real, but it feels amazing because the dialogue is so good. Yeah. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think there's ever been any of his movies that I haven't felt like a lot of artifice in. And when it works, it works. And when well, it doesn't, for this he's an artifice man. At least he had this sort of breathing room. I like the downtime because that's what it's like. You know, you're traveling. They don't have anything else to do. You sit in a, they're stuck in a shack for days. That's it. Yeah, but you can light a fire under their ass. You can have them need to do something. Like, I, I like the fact that they needed to do something every time they needed to open the door. Yeah. Like even something. That business as, was good. Yeah, yeah. Even something as simple as that is like, all right, every time that door opens, Everyone's going to yell and everyone needs to nail it down. I like that because yeah, it's it, like a play. You have to, you can do it minimalist, but you have to have something grounding you to where you, you have to yeah. be constantly at work on something. Almost. I wanted more of that. I wanted them yeah. to constantly be either. They could have done to, a lot with the coffee. I mean, the coffee yeah. could have been a whole, you know, you could have to go get the beans every time they wanted coffee or having to repair like roof 
being blown off or just something that like put them to work and have them talk while they're working, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I felt like it, I don't know. I was okay with it because it felt like there was a lot of thinking. There's a lot, you know, and especially after you find out and spoiler, you find out that half of the people are actually planning something and they're just waiting for the right time to do it. And that's why that kind of worked. It's because when you're sitting there waiting to kill somebody, you're, you're not thinking about like, Oh, let me like, you know, pick my nails. Like, but they're not the ones we're following. I mean, yes, they're just waiting for their opening, you know? So it's like that sort of fakeness of when you know something's going to happen and you're trying to pretend like you don't. But in in the spaghetti Westerns that he's he's been always chasing, like there's that sequence in the middle of for a few dollars more when they're going to rob the bank and everybody's just standing there. But everybody who's standing there is standing there doing something, you know, whether it's as small as like whistling or um you know, like watching a certain window, like everybody has, has a, an action and everybody has a purpose or uh, the beginning of once upon a time in the West is another great example. Cause Leone apparently was just really great at that. Um, you know, like when they're waiting yeah, that, at the train that station, that famous and, opening. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're riveted. Yeah. The, when, you know, when he catches the fly and the revolver and just these tiny little, right. because waiting only feels like waiting when you're trying, when you're watching them try to spend time. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying you know that he mean? did it beautifully. I just, it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you guys. Right. You know, and uh, the thing that did kind of bother me though, was this concept that they all kind of knew each other and they all just happened to be at the same yeah, place. Yeah, that was whack. That was kind of annoying. And that felt more fake, you know, and that, that brought in, as you're saying, what can work for a half hour drama doesn't work for a three hour one. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I don't know. It, it just, the, the pacing was, didn't kill me. It was just that these specific scenes kind of killed me because I actually liked Daisy a lot. I yeah, liked Jennifer she Jason She was fantastic. Lee. And she should have had more time even. I would have been she happy to Goggins, see her. I think really were. Yeah. And I really liked how, you know, and that, I guess this is what I liked about the movie was I liked the sort of, some individual character. Kurt Russell was awesome. He was yeah. great. Mm-hmm. He he was really fleshed out. He was, he was great. Samuel L. Jackson was great too. The acting yeah. was great despite the material. Yeah, that's what I was saying right. when we did our Oscar yeah. one. Remember, it was his best acting and his worst script. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a fair assessment. And, but, you know, and I loved uh, Daisy's sort of love of bloodlust. Like I, yeah. all the scenes of her, her face covered in blood, but laughing and like with no teeth and, you know, continuing, even though she gets punched in the face to, yeah. to fuck with people. That was all great. It becomes Evil Dead at the end, and she becomes the uh, the possessed woman under the floorboards. Mm. Yeah. Is, she's so great at that. And I like that final reveal with her with her brother. Yeah. You know? Um, I actually, now that I think about it, I liked the last half hour a lot. Yeah, me too. I got re-engaged in the film. It was just that, I'm telling you, if you cut yeah. out Samuel L. Jackson, and then you cut out the narration, or you like... You know, you could even just show it, just like cut out the his voice, just like have that editing where the camera's just going like this in silence, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> like possible. that even would have been okay. Actually, yeah, and then Ennio Morricone could have just burst into I was the forefront just again. Just gonna say it, Morricone's score was amazing. He was really yeah. strong. The first five minutes were just like oh yeah, beautiful. It was and- so the music was so good that it forgave visuals that weren't really that great but they felt better because except for of the, the first five minutes i think some of those exteriors were just yeah, yeah stunning but yeah i know what you mean but yeah the visuals weren't top notch really yeah. they weren't like you know you hear 70 millimeter uh you you think i don't know bigger and better i have no idea why this was in 70 millimeter i was just gonna say did not need to be the, i mean the opening shots were beautiful and i'm sure had i watched it on anything other than my television it would have been you know like on screen i'm sure it would have looked fantastic but mm. You know, he, they're just in a uh, 
a cabin. Well, let's, I can't. Uh, I, I can't think of any of his others that deserved less to be in seventy millimeter than this one. Yeah, I yeah. mean, maybe Grindhouse, I guess, and like maybe Jackie Brown Reservoir Dogs. You don't need to Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs now. Yeah. But, but like, uh, I would have rather seen Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill or Inglorious Bastards or even Django Unchained, which I didn't right. like at all in seventy millimeter. Yeah. Let's uh, let's bring the fans in because we got a voicemail that actually sparked us doing this. This is a voicemail we've had for a long time. We just, you know, only one of us had seen the movie for a long time, so we weren't able to do it. But uh, let's play that. How you guys doing, Smugsters? It's your old pal, Sir Paul from L.A. And Stephanie. This is my friend Stephanie. We just got back from watching The Hateful Eight. Boo! Yeah, it was kind of boring, right? It was super Super, duper boring. Yeah. So, yeah, we didn't like it. And we didn't think it was, you know, that that great. You know, would you say you had eight reasons why? I had eight hateful reasons. Well, at least. Tell me your eight reasons again. Um, boring, 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 boring. That's more than eight. More than eight. But I can keep going with that. So we want to know what you guys thought. We thought that, uh, you know, that would be a good question to bring up. It's a pretty, you know, um, high-profile flick. Um, not as high-profile as that uh, Star Wars thing, but... Uh, Which was great. Yeah, we like that We should one. talk about that one instead. Yeah, we'll, you know, let these people do their thing. But anyways, keep up the good work. We love you. Um, I think Steph's a new fan. She's listening now. Yeah, I don't know who you are yet, but... I'll get her into it. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> Take care. We love you. Merry New Year. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Paul, thank you for the love. I'm so Stephanie sorry. Too. Stephanie it took too. took us that long. I like yeah, it. you've yeah. been sitting on this motherfucker for a while. Yeah, huh? he said Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. I just want to point that out for those at home that may have missed that. He said Happy Goddamn New Year. Yeah, sorry for uh, sitting on that one for so long. And uh, I like those uh, hateful eight reasons why it sucked. Yeah, it's just pretty on point. Yeah. Boring, 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 boring. That's it. I, you know what? I'm I'm so surprised because I really avoided this thinking that I was going to hate it. Especially there was a, some great reviews of this movie of just killing it, just like destroying this film. And yet I didn't really like I, I didn't find the violence to be that overwhelming, especially for Tarantino. I didn't find like. I mean, the dialogue was bad. There's a couple of moments. In the beginning, the opening dialogue. Oh, God. That was yeah. brutal. was like real. Especially was coming like, off really? of that beautiful opening musical scene and right. the, those great images. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a great movie. And then they start talking and you're like, shut your fucking mouths. That's like first draft trying to figure out what the movie is dialogue. That's yeah. like uh, a Tarantino imitator in 96 dialogue, yeah. really, is what it felt like. That felt like when Miramax was searching for the next Tarantino. <laughs> so they'd get all these sort of like... Very, uh, very overwritten hacks and oh, just yeah. sort of see what'll stick. That's kind of what that felt like. Yeah, it's a shame. And, uh, as Tarantino has said, he, you know, he's going to do two more movies and then he's done. There's been speculation that one of those will be like a Kill Bill volume three. He's talked about that. Uh, but, but he, he, he he's killed. Yeah. I don't Isn't know. Isn't that the end? Yeah, that is the end. Kill Bill. Oh, no, wait. No, it's that the, the little girl. Yeah. Uh, Vivica Fox is going to kill uh, uh, the bride. That's what it is. That would be awesome. Yeah, that's that's what he said it's going to be. Yeah, I'd scope that out. Yeah, I'd watch that. But uh, yeah, Tarantino, uh, at first I was like, oh man, I hate when people set like arbitrary, like I'm stopping things. 
But maybe he should stop for a while. Uh, he should take a break, especially yeah. with losing the editor. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's so interested in television westerns. Maybe he should move to TV for a little bit. He said he just wants to write. Like, he wants to write, like, uh, film pieces and things like that. He wants to be a, a writer. I mean, he could come on the podcast if he wanted. He could write for yeah, the Yeah, Tarantino, you could write for Smug Film. That's cool. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll start you it. out. You know, there's no pay, but uh, you'll get great exposure. <laughs> you know, I, I think that'll help you there, Tarantino. You know, I have to say, I really still don't get the, the Tarantino fanboy culture. And that, that's In still so intense. Like the, the amount of people that I knew. Oh, I got hate just on Facebook saying I didn't like this movie. Oh, I got people yeah. are like, oh my God. Well, you know what? You obviously didn't see it in 70 millimeter because if you had seen it in 70 millimeter, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, that, remember, that, remember. That's what I don't get. I think a lot of people, was, he was how they got into film. So they were like mad tribal about it. Yeah. And I, he's not a bad way to get into film, I guess, because, you know, your instinct would probably be to go watch a bunch of other stuff. But. I don't know. I don't I don't really get it either. I don't get the uh I just feel like the more the that pull. I've you know, talking about like people getting into film from him, I feel like the more that I've seen stuff that either like I realize later on like oh, this is 100% when Tarantino jacked that from. I like those a lot better than I like the Tarantino movie in the end. So everything that seemed fresh. I don't know. I mean, Junior High doesn't really seem fresh to me anymore. Franco Nero Django is not that good, and no. Thriller: A Cruel Picture is a pretty fucking mean, bad movie. And like, I don't mean that so Rolling much. Rolling Thunder is not as good as. Oh, I love Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder is good, <laughs> but you know, like it's not as good as um, Kill Bill or yeah. or whatever. It's more like his sort of his his like little influences, like the sort of um, like that like sound in Kill Bill. Like that's jacked from other movies. Like that's the, from uh, that's, um, Five Fist of Death or Five Fingers of Death or it might be a, a different one you're thinking of. And it, yeah, that's uh, the the one I'm hearing when she does that is from um, not Bay of Blood, but like a Bava slasher. Yeah, it might be Bava. I I thought it was uh, Five Five Fingers of Death. Maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, I want to say it's a Jalo film, but I can't remember either. But yeah, anyhow, I, th- you I, know, think like, was, I think I think it was Shaw Brothers, dude. I think it's Shaw Brothers. It might be something that's used multiple times. Well, he times. used both in that. I mean, it opened with the Shaw Brothers thing. Right. So we could be thinking of different ones. But yeah. that's what I mean. Like these little, or like, you know, the you know his sort of, the fact that he's a, a band apart as for the reference to the, the New Wave movie and stuff like that. You know, like when you, these little tiny or music choices. Yeah, he leaves crumbs for yeah, people to stuff explore. Stuff that's clearly influenced, like completely, the second you see it, you're like, I know exactly what you're referencing and it's cool. But then like you watch the actual thing, you're like, ah, this is cooler than Tarantino. I don't know. Well, sometimes he's rescuing like interesting elements from like shitty films. Like you said, I mean, right. like Thriller isn't that great. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about Michael Jackson Thriller. I just want to make that very clear so we don't get angry I want to make that absolutely mail. goddamn clear. Yeah. <laughs> if you're if you're dialing right now, 718-395-9711, by the way, if you want to leave us a voicemail to play on the show, uh, if you're dialing right now because you think we're trashing Thriller, the Michael Jackson we masterpiece. We would never. Why would we? Never. Never. It's great. Let's just talk about Thriller. Run the clock. <laughs> Thriller's great. I just uh, heard it in a restaurant today. Yeah, was it's it a hot number? Pretty hot. Did they do the people the dancing? Vincent Price part too. Uh, no, but they did uh, the little the little like dance. howl and. That's good. You need the Vincent Price part. I think that really adds to it. Yeah, that's what sort of settles you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love Thriller. Thriller's great. Uh, I also like uh, Ghosts. The uh, was that a Coppola one that he did? That forty minute one. A lot of people. Is that the one with the skeletons dancing at the end? I don't know. I'm just. I don't really remember it. I'm just pretending like I do. (laughs) Uh, 
I, I vaguely That's me with hateful eight right now. <laughs> yeah, I vaguely remember ghosts and liking it. Uh, yeah, that was that elusive uh, forty-minute Michael Jackson. Uh, What's the other one where he's in the haunted house, like after Thriller, and there's like skeletons that's and possible ghosts. some cgi that's definitely ghosts yeah and it looks kind of like everybody the backstreet boys video which i'll be honest was better <laughs> yeah not by much but like i'll give the backstreet boys yeah. that <laughs> what are we are we backstreet boys people or nsync people as a whole this I group of people either. Three of us. we're all we're all in sync right i never liked nsync i, I, I very back, actively did i gotta be honest i'm backstreet boys I didn't like them either. I like NSYNC, but I if I'm power ranking like how many great songs, NSYNC, I'd put like maybe four or five. Backstreet Boys, maybe 10. See, I'm the opposite. Really? I was NSYNC all the way, yeah. No yeah. Strings Attached, man. That was a great album. Yeah. Well, that was... That but, was, you know, they were both titans. Yes. It's, you know, it's it's really, there is no clear loser. Yeah. W- were you into any of the boy bands, Jenna? No, I was like actively had no interest in them. But then again, I listened to anime music and like K-pop. So <laughs> yeah. like I didn't really do any better. So you were, you succumbed just in a different, a different country. country. Yeah. <laughs> a different country's version. Yeah. Got it. Where did you even find that stuff back then? Dude, Chinatown was hopping for bootlegs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Literally buying VHS tapes in a bag. <laughs> How do you end up getting into that though? You know, cause you turn on the TV and there's sync, and you're like, all right, I could do this. Sometimes, I mean, like, I remember there's I a guess great internet, right? It was internet, but also like the fact that some bands are called like HOT, which stands for High Five of Teenager. And you're like, I gotta know what the High Five of Teenager is all about. Yeah. And then you're See, like, I've never felt that in my life. <laughs> and then I go to If Kino I heard Kino High Kino. Five of Teenager, I would just move well, right first along. First of all, I wouldn't go on that website. You just would think for, this is entrapment. Yeah. Just for fear <laughs> of, of what my computer would become. Guys, everyone, YouTube HOT Candy. If you want to know what 90s K-pop was like, it's great. H.O.T. Candy? Yeah, High Five of Teenager. Okay. <laughs> and wasn't there uh, like Durin Gray? There was like the dark version of like that. And like all those like... Uh, like Gacked. Ex-Japan. Ex- Ex-Japan like, was There was different. like a goth version of like Japanese, Korean, Was there a Japanese Rob Zombie? Ooh, that's a Follow-up question. question. Was there a Japanese white zombie? Ooh. <laughs> That'd be interesting to find out if you if you know. I bet Carl would know. Yeah, Carl or somebody else, please call in seven one eight three nine five nine seven one one. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, let us know if there was a uh, a Japanese or Korean uh, white zombie or or even just a Rob Zombie. Follow up follow up question: Was there a Japanese Spider One from Power Man Five Thousand mm. who was Rob Zombie's little brother? Ah, there's Glay is like you know they're like the Japanese U two. That's, How does that work? That's, that's as close as I us. could get. Yeah. If you two is the closest we can get, then does he have the same sunglasses? Actually, they're and really the same more shirt? like they're the more like they're considered the Beatles of Japan, Glay, but um their music is more like you two, in my opinion. Hmm. The Beatles are definitely the Beatles of Japan. Yeah. The Beatles are <laughs> the Beatles of, of Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm confident if you go to Japan and you'd be like, What are the Beatles of Japan? They would be like, It's still the Beatles. Hmm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right, we're going to cut to a uh, little uh, robot reenactment. We'll be right back. See you soon. And now, Smug Film presents Robot Reenactments. Two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he churned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. This has been a robot reenactment. Now, back to the show. 
Hello, Smug Film fans. Leave us a question or a comment for Smug Film to play on the show by calling the following voicemail number. 718-395-9711. Once again, that's 718-395-9711. We look forward to hearing from you, you lovely, lovely people. And we are back. First of all, we just want to point out again how great uh, Hatful 8 is. Hatful 8 is really the best. All right. John D'Amico has half a cinnamon bun in his mouth. A third. A third. This guy's always half a bun. <laughs> but yeah, if there's any takeaway from the Hateful Eight discussion, it's the Hatful Eight. And if you're if you're a big Hateful Eight fan and you're like, what the fuck was that discussion? That was like nothing. You guys are stupid. Uh, we apologize. It's just there's nothing much to talk about. You know, it was great in the beginning there when yeah. they're in the carriage. There's like a part where Samuel L. Jackson and Goggins' hats almost collided, like the brims, because mm. they kept getting closer and talking about um, Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. And I was sitting there, and it was like when you're watching the um, little box that says DVD bounce around the screen, and you're waiting for it to go in the corner. Uh-huh. I was waiting for their hats to collide, <laughs> and they never did. Never but that's did. when I turned to the person next to me and said, more like the hat fillet. Nice. Which, when I win the Pulitzer finally... I assume that's going to be what it's for. Did you know the person or was it just... I really hope you didn't know this person. Please don't ruin this for me. I'm not going to ruin it for her. Yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, before we get back into the show, uh, let's give a little plugs to our Patreon donors. These people donate $10 a month to Smug Film, and that's awesome, and we appreciate it. John D'Amico, what's the status on the uh, cinnamon bun right now? How much you got left? What percentage? <laughs> I think I'm at a half now. You're at a half. Okay. Shout out to our $10 donors. Special shout out to our $10,000 donors. Which, I mean, you know, we're talking Anthony Weiner, Donald Trump. I mean, the list is is prestigious. Tony Jaw. Yeah. yeah. Tony Jaw. Tony Jaw figures heavily into our whole Kickstarter operation. Absolutely. I'm trying to figure... He actually wrote the text on the... Uh, yeah. On the thing. I'm trying to finish this before you finish the cinnamon bun, so slow down. Uh, let's, right. let's, it's just so good. Let's start it off with Rick Harper, Room Full of Spoons. If you have not heard of this, then you must not listen to this podcast because we, we plug it every week. And guess what? We plug it for a reason because it turns out really good movie. When we getting him back? When we getting you back? We got to get Rick, if you're listening, and we know you are because you're a fan of the show, come on back. Let's talk about that damn movie that you made that's really good. We love you, Rick. So uh, go to roomfulofspoons.com. It's uh, pretty much the definitive documentary on the room. It's really good. It's really good. And, and uh, not just because I figure into it. Yeah. John, yeah, John D'Amico, in John D'Amico's in it. Eating cinnamon buns there, too. Yeah. <laughs> cinnamon buns D'Amico over here. He just here. chews through the whole movie. Yes. It's <laughs> That's an the audio, commentary. It's a commentary track. He eats about 60 cinnamon buns yeah, over the course really of the go. film. Oh, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, it's not bad. There's a there's a middle section where he's got like a really good sugar high going, and then towards the end he's just fading. Well, towards fast. the end I start coughing from all the cinnamon. Yeah. And then the narration, it it's it's a lot like the narration in Hateful Eight. It starts to slip, mm. but it starts to slip because I have a coughing fit because of the cinnamon. It's a great commentary. And uh please uh find out where it's playing because it's playing all over the world, uh room full of spoons. It's touring. Uh, you can tell them to play it in your city and they'll play it in your city. So check that out. Roomfulspoons.com. Up next, 
we've got minor key games. Now they got a new game coming out, which I'm mad excited about, which is Gunmetal Arcadia Zero. Zero. That sounds real dope. Yeah. Gunmetal. I mean, how can you go wrong with gunmetal? And that, that was a great color when you had model kits when you were a kid. Exactly. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. And so it's a side. I know what it's about. It's a side scroller kind of action RPG that looks mad good. It looks kind of similar to Super Win the game, but like souped up and like more like almost Zelda two more gunmetal colored. Yeah, and like super ghouls and goblins kind of look. Oh, ghouls and goblins was so good, dude. Th- you got impossible check this out. though. I mean, yeah, totally. You, I'd never even beat the first level. Neither have I. Has anybody? Call in. Yeah, if you've beaten the first level of Super Ghouls and Goblins, let us know. And don't fucking lie about it, because we'll, we'll know. know. <laughs> we'll know. We'll know. So, uh, minorkeygames.com, two brothers, Kyle and David Pittman, really good games, new games that kind of have two that Two brothers, one company. Feeling. That's right. You get it? I get it. Like the, the thing. The old porn thing? Yeah. And uh, check that out, Minor Key Games. Call in if you don't get it. Cody will explain it. I will. <laughs> Dot com. And last but not least, but you know what? Least... Uh, <laughs> our boy Jay Brunner, Jay at Bobby Slow on one of Twitter. our ten thousand dollar donors. That's right, he pays us ten thousand dollars an episode. Brunner. Actually, not All even for a the month. glorification of his ego. That's right. Uh, it actually is. He straight up was like, "I just want Jenna to say my name every week, so I'm yeah. going to donate ten dollars." So I please, was like, that's fine. say his name. Say his name, Jay Brunner, and uh, give us a tweet or something funny that uh, he said uh, there, Jenna. On Monday. Jay Brunner wrote on Facebook, Hey guys, my big history final exam is coming up, but I'm having an issue with one of the possible terms. The term is the Cold War, but I swear to you, if you look at the aggregate date from 1960 to the late 80s, the temperatures are literally all over the fucking place. That was a tweet? That's like 9 million characters. That was on Facebook. That was on Facebook. This is because he's a $10,000 donor, so he gets to use more characters on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun fact. You get to use, if if you're rich... You can buy more characters. It's like, I think it's like $5,000 per extra character on Twitter. You know, the, he's so rich that he actually, uh, his Facebook group, Cowser, the Silent Jury and the Trial of Mankind, has a sponsored post to which has multiple replies, how the fuck is this sponsored? <laughs> <laughs> he's and, just uh, tossing money out there. Good for him. So yeah, you go, Jay. You have so many Jay muscles Brunner. and we love it. Thank you for your kind donation. So uh, now we're going to play another voicemail from Paul because this is like the Paul celebration episode because I'm, I'm making it's our apology. Yeah, I'm making yeah. up to Paul for like not playing his fucking uh, happy New Year's voicemail for so long. Our apology. Our apology. Yes. Very good, Jenna. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, if you do get it, please call in 718-395-9711 and explain it to John D'Amico. But here is another Paul voicemail. We got Stephanie on this one, too. I hope one can only hope. I'm a Stephanie fan. I I'm I'm big on the Stephanie. She's I don't know. good. Yeah, she was good, good. Critic. All right, here's the uh, voicemail. Hey there, Smuggineers. It's your pal Paul from LA. Hey, so I saw everybody wants some the other day, and I I really enjoyed it. However, my companion felt there wasn't enough plot in that one, and she kept waiting for something to happen. I think this one cranks the lackadaisical to about eleven which is kind of refreshing in this case because it also happened to be pretty entertaining. It was more about time and place and about characters themselves and what makes them who they are. It felt like a a slice of Texas in 1980, you know, put on a plate and served to you. And if you're into it, you're into it. And if you're not, well, you're not, you know, which got me to thinking of a question to ask you guys. I'm not sure if it's been asked before, but if it has, who cares? Because now it's me asking it. 
So I like a movie that gives you a really good feeling of a time and a place, you know? Like you walk out of the theater and it feels like the stench of it is on you. And whoever made the movie does a really good job of conveying the place on the screen. So like my own personal example would be Local Hero with Burt Lancaster and Peter Rieger. I don't know if you guys ever seen it, but like I've never been to any small villages on the Scottish coast, but I smell the 30-year-old whiskey and the boiled clams and the sea air and the tweed, you know, whenever I watch that movie. So do you guys have any movies like that? Let me know, I, 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 you know, because I'd be interested in hearing it and, you know, it would be a, a good discussion to have on your show, which I like sometimes. Anyways, keep up the good work and keep reaching for the stars. This was one of the first things we talked about with the entire smug uh, confederation. Uh-huh. The whole what? local cinema thing. That's true. This, this is it. It's yeah. coming together again. Explain. Well, the, like one of the things we were most fascinated by, and to go back to listen to the first episode. Oh, no, absolutely. Before Cody's voice dropped, most of them were about... <laughs> Where my this, balls came in. Yeah, this idea of, you know, like local <laughs> cinema, like movies that really feel like a time and a place. And, you know, straight up to the Boston one with Brad. Yeah. Boston Brad. Boston Brad Beans. Braston Bean t- Brad, Brad, Brad Bradsworth. Yeah. Bradsworth Boston. Bostonio. Bostonio. Bradsworth Bostonia when we had him on <laughs> yeah. last time. This is what happens when you eat two cinnamon buns and do a podcast. It was all about this this whole thing, you know, the best movies are the movies that are made by people either of a place or fascinated with that place, pretty much on their own, you know, shooting what's around them. Yep. Bostonio Bradford would agree. Absolutely. Bradley uh, Bostiford. I was trying to morph it into Bradley Whitford. B.B. King. B.B. King. Bradley Bostonian King. Peace to be the king. But uh, yeah, local cinema's where it's at. And I love seeing a place that maybe I would never set foot in and feeling like I've actually set foot in it. I think that's yeah. a, that's an amazing feeling. I, I have not seen uh, everybody get some or whatever that shit's called yet. The new Linklater. I'm not a Linklater fan. Uh, have you guys seen it yet? No, but I, I'm actually curious. I'm not a fan of his either, but this one is interesting looking because it's one of these movies where nothing's happening and that's my jam. <laughs> no, you'll have to let us know. You'll have to see that at some point. You know, I will say though, this voicemail reminded me if you talk about like you like to watch a movie and then feel like the stink of it is on you. Yeah. Uh, like I've, trash humpers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one option. I feel like Wake and Fright is one of those movies yeah, where yeah, 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 afterward yeah. you're like, you need a glass of water because that guy didn't have any for two hours. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like he's slamming back these beers and like you feel, you almost feel hung over afterward. And it has like, that has such a clear, dusty, dirty, creepy, like backwards Australia feel. Yeah, my great lost interview with that director. That's he right. talked about how they would just blast those sets with uh, compressed, those, those, you know, like... Uh, Things they used to feed fires with full mm. of dust and sand and just like cover everything yeah. for like an hour. It sounds awful. It's not great. Not, well, a, not a good working environment. It seems I haven't been to Australia myself, but a, a friend of mine just came back. You're not recently. allowed into the country. Yeah, that's for other reasons. It's because I'm not I haven't listed myself as a dog on the paperwork. So I fucked it up. But my friend went and he like had a freak out because he was just in the middle of nowhere in someone's house. 
And like there was that oppression of of open space where you actually feel claustrophobic because there's just so much space. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, man, you have to see Wake and Fright. And he was like, "Okay, I'm going to go check it out. And that's same thing. That's a great movie. As usual, the 70s were great with that stuff. I mean, not just Wake and Fright, but The Wicker Man. Oh, yeah. I mean, The Wicker Man is such a spectacular look at just like a weird but real place. Hmm. You know, and like that whole there's almost no movies about pre-Roman Britain because the Britons are so obsessed with Roman Britain. But the Wicker Man, you you know, you get this like look at shit, you know, there's this like undercurrent under all of it. Hmm. There's this um, other world that's as much a part of their society. And uh, yeah, that one's spectacular. There's a couple of great movies from like the late 70s, early 80s from Texas, from Austin by this dude, Eagle Pinnell. Eagle Pinnell, that's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that guy's definitely name. from Texas. <laughs> uh, the whole shooting match and last night at the Alamo. Uh, whole shooting match is just about this like depressed town outside of Austin. And last night at the Alamo is about this bar and like the last night there. Uh, and they're, they're just so like just lay the camera back and let the place be kind of movies. Uh, really wonderful couple of films that anybody who's interested in, in local cinema. Word. Like you or I or, uh, or Bradford, Buford. Well, I've always said Gee, like, uh, yeah, uh, Squid and the Whale was pretty damn accurate representation of like my childhood in Park Slope. Uh, you've seen that one, right, Jenna? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that pretty fairly dead on? Break out in New York. He's talking about ones that make you feel like you, you're somewhere else. I know. Else. I'm just saying for other people, if you're listening at home, you want to say see what it was like to be Cody. Once you again, know the most- another monument to your massive ego. <laughs> you want to know the most... Uh- New York part of that movie is when he's by that whale, the squid and the whale, straight up, <laughs> literally. But it's that there's a scene. Anybody listening at home is like, she did not see that movie. <laughs> yeah, that whale. He was you when the when, whale was in the I guess was, subway, maybe. Yeah, when there was a whale, that was spot on. You know, because I was always seeing whales when I was growing up in Brooklyn. Uh, squid too. You can't have yeah. enough squid. Yeah, there was whales as far as the eye could see. <laughs> no, I was I was pausing because it's the last five minutes of the movie. No, I know what but, you mean. But like yeah. that that is the most accurate to everyone who grew up in New York City's childhood. Oh yeah, everyone knows exactly scene, yeah. that they have stood in that exact place and thought, "I'm not going any closer to this." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, uh, Buffalo '66, another Cody Clark favorite. I don't even. I don't want to set foot in Buffalo, but I get a sense of what it feels like to be oh depressed. There. Buffalo '66 and the Squid in the Well. I'm I gonna fall asleep. Come I'm up with a new one. I'm doing that for you. I'm Come up with a new one. I'm I'm bringing out the Cody Clark classic. How about Rocky? Rocky. What are other ones we talk about Serpico. all the time? Serpico. Serpico. Yeah. Yeah. But what are ones we talk about all the time? Ooh. Um. What do we talk about all the time? Movies, right? I, I was gonna say. I don't know. If you want to know, Serpico, what, yo, for real though. Serpico. Yeah, Serpico, one hundred percent. You know what, what? If you want to know what the '70s were like, even though the movie doesn't is not meant to take place in the '70s, but you want to know like what the most over the top '70s '70s feel ever. Is, Say '70s one more time. '70s is Tommy. <laughs> I feel like Tommy gives you that perfect. It's like what the an illustration of the '70s was that happened in the '70s. Say '70s again. '70s. <laughs> I uh, Tommy is great. I don't think people don't give it credit. I don't like Tommy. Tommy's fucking great. I like Tommy the Green Ranger from Power Rangers. 
I like Tommy the album. I do not like Tommy the movie. Yeah. But I love Tommy the album. I've been writing something about that because I can't tell you how many times I've heard it and it's bullshit. Yeah, well, I'm sorry the album's really good and the movie's shitty. The movie's so good. I didn't make this world. I'm just living in it. Movie's so good. That's right. And it gets unfairly maligned. Tell her, John. (laughs) Tell her you didn't make this world. I didn't. That's verified. (laughs) You know what's Melbourne? You you got nothing on the moon. You you got no evidence that he made this world, Jenna. Nude on the moon. That's, you know, if you wonder what the moon is like as a nudist colony in the 60s. Uh-huh. Nude on the moon. There you go. Or like, what what about that one where the, the rocket hits the moon in the eye? Nude on the moon. No. The the old... Uh, yeah, nude on the moon. You have to turn, you have to crank it yourself. A trip. You seriously can't come up with a trip to the moon by George Moyes <laughs> and you're a film professional? Is it really as... Uh, is that really the name of it? A yeah. Trip to the, God damn. Anyway. A trip to the guy. Yeah, it's a, if you want to know what it's like to go to the moon, that's it. You go to the moon and then you get a guy in the eye with your rocket and that's your experience. Any nude scientist will moon. tell you that. Nude on the moon. Jurassic Park does a really good job of making it feel humid. It does, yeah. Ooh, good call. <laughs> and also like cluttered, yeah. you know, like all the desks and stuff. I think Newman's desk in that movie is like the most realistic desk I've ever seen in a movie. Like yeah. the empty soda cans on it and the piles of paper and the post-it notes on the computer and the um, the the like... Screensavers. What do you call it? It would be like a, like a five pixel fucking uh, representation of the naked lady on his computer. Yeah. It's all real. That's a desk. Actually, Terminator 2. Terminator yeah. 2 is like big time LA 90s. Like, man, I feel this is a place. Arcade. Yeah, the arcade, the Galleria. Yeah, man. I feel like LA maybe has the most movies that are about LA. Does it, like, I almost want to see more than New York, even. Oh, definitely. Because there's so many movies. Because they don't movies. have to do anything. They just walk outside and they're like, oh, we're going to do this one in LA because it's where <laughs> I live. And But like, they, they usually use LA as like a real plot device whereas there's so many movies like all these disaster movies that take place in new york have nothing to do with new york city they just destroy new york and the bitch of it is la is like the least visually interesting city probably in the country yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) like the michael mann movies they talk everybody i know it was talks about like what a beautiful job michael mann does capturing what la is really like and you watch those movies and you're like i don't give a shit what la is really like apparently (laughs) it just it's stupid looking yeah well, it's the suburbs, you know. I don't but know. Terminator Two does a great job creating this like eerie, still real feeling, but very almost like fairy tale pitch, like a child's perception of what LA is like. Mm. I think a lot of that is the the lighting and the color and everything. Uh, not so much Michael Mann ones, even though they're beautifully done. I don't have any. They don't pull me as a world, you know. Star Wars, you know, if you want to know, what it's like to be on Tatooine. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars. That, built the that fucking first Star Wars uh, built its empire it's like. on this yeah. three billion dollar a year company just on the basis of that feeling. Yeah, wish I had another cinnamon bun. You you wish you had another cinnamon bun? Is it because you're thinking about Leia? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if you hadn't eaten those two when I brought up Star Wars, you could have put those like on your ears. They're kind of sticky though. Yeah, but the like, listeners not very sticky, but just sticky enough. The that, listeners would have loved it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great radio bit. That kind of visual humor really plays well on the podcast. Uh, I mean, that's what they clamor for. If we had more $10,000 donors, I would do it. Hey, we could have cinnamon buns every episode. Dude, if, first of all, if we had $10,000 a month, these would all be like streaming in like 4K. If we had $10,000, $10,000 donors. Oh my God. I would do the cinnamon bun thing. You'd eat a cinnamon bun? Yeah. Every, every episode? 
I just I'm trying to picture all the people that have ten thousand dollars to give away turning this off right now. <laughs> After the high, no, not ten thousand dollars to give away. Ten thousand dollars to give away every month. Yeah, right. That's what we of want. Course. That's what I. If you're just gonna come and give us ten thousand dollars a yeah, month, get the you. fuck out of here. <laughs> you're a fucking deadbeat. We don't want you. We need like a big like benefactor. Yeah. We need like a Selma Hayek. Yeah, Selma Hayek. We should try and contact and see if she wants to be our benefactor. If you're Selma Hayek, please call in. Just in general, you know. Yeah. Just uh, any say anything to us. Yeah. We'll to, be happy to me. To me. Yeah. Or if you're not to the rest of them. To if me. you're a really good Selma Hayek impersonator, I want to hear a Selma Hayek impersonation. I want to hear what that sounds like. I'm just curious. Yeah, so, if you uh, can do anybody, except yeah. for John Wayne, that's such a yeah. We need more impersonators. You know, that's such like a. Where's all the impersonators at? Everybody does somebody. We need more yeah. impersonators calling in. Someone eight three nine five nine seven one one. Call in if you're an impersonator or Selma Hayek or Selma Hayek or fake Selma Hayek or any variation thereof in perpetuity until the end of time. TM. Yeah. Twenty sixteen. <laughs> Copyright. Smug film. Anything you guys seen lately that you uh? I watched. Dug, by the way, Leon the Professional. Finally. Finally. Oh, you never saw it before? No. And I had really mixed emotions about it. Yeah. And I think it might be because everyone played it up so hard. It's not good. It's visually awful, rather. Yeah. I mean, like, it's super blown out. It's like, didn't age well. It's so video looking. I hate that Something about that early 90s look. Some of them, either it aged really well or it aged terribly. You know, nothing in in the early 90s aged middling. And this was another movie, actually, you know, to tie it back to Hateful Eight, it had good acting, but it had just... I feel like the movie set up the actors for failure, except Gary Oldman was terrible in it. But the main two actors, Natalie Portman and, and what's his face? John Renault. <laughs> Are you a Gary Oldman fan? Anybody here a big Gary Oldman? I like I him in True really, Romance. He's good in that. I don't really get him. I like him in Fifth Element, and really that's the only one where I've ever yeah, been like, like oh, cool, Gary Oldman. I like him in that one, too. Dracula is good in Dracula. Mm. He wasn't, I didn't really like him in Harry Potter. <laughs> I thought he was a little disappointing. Yeah, as like, Ron Weasley, he wasn't great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Serious Black, okay. But, I'd like to like hang out with him and talk about movies though. Like whenever I see him on a, a late show, like a talk show, he's like, yeah, he seems like a chill guy. What kind of annoyed me is that I they over sexualized Natalie Portman. Oh God, yeah. And but like apparently in the you know the rough drafts of that got real pervy, real oh, creepy. Really? Because it felt like you know it's funny you know they could have had a child like that who, you know, grew up in that sort of, you saw her parents, you saw her sister, it very easily, she could have had a crush, you know, that's pretty, you know, like 12 year olds do have crushes on older people. It's not crazy. And she could have not known how to express it and gotten creepy like that, except the movie was too okay with it. Oh yeah. And that was the problem. It was more than, more than okay with it. Just Whereas even Leon, even Leon is like, he's, but he was also a little too hands off. He had like no opinion about it. And that's what bugged me. And he had this whole backstory about being in love and then she like got killed and then now he can never love again. And then, so now his 12 year old is coming at him and he's just like, uh, I don't know what to do. There's no way he's that naive. It's pervy and dumb. You know, they set him up to be this like super, like amazing killer. And now they're trying to play him off. Like he's super naive, like doesn't work. Even if he was socially awkward, he wouldn't have reacted like that. It, it plays off like uh, like creeper pedophile fantasy kind of scenario. Yeah, the, well, the camera does. That's what annoyed yeah. me. The direction did. 
because there was too much of like, you know, these shots of glamour shots of her and then like him, like sort of off to the side, not reacting correctly, but, you know, leaving it open. Maybe he'll maybe he's going to go for it. And like for the camera and the director to kind of root for him to almost go for it, to get over his problems. And yeah. it was like, no, just do it. Be, be paternal and end it. I'm not a fan of that one. So I don't know. Mixed. I don't think I liked it. I didn't like it at all. I haven't seen it in many years, though, but I'm sure I don't like it. I, I've seen it a couple of times. I do not like that movie. But I, I have been going through uh, Westerns lately, John D'Amico, and I've been doing Anthony Mann stuff. Anthony Mann was Holy real God fucking good. Damn shit. He's, I think, one of the most fuck underrated directors who ever lived. Fuck cock <laughs> is that shit good. Anthony Mann, I really think is... If you're going to make a list of just the, the directors who made the best work and got the least credit for it, Anthony Mann's got to be like number two or three up there. I saw this one the other day, Bend of the River. Bend of the River is pretty good. That's the one where he puts the uh, the bells on the horse at the beginning, right? To trick them. I don't remember. Spoiler. There's like a horse. He he puts his little uh, his little bell on the horse and then sends the horse off to walk down to the camp and they hear the bell and he's coming from a different direction. It's like the very beginning of the movie. I remember that. Maybe that is Maybe that's uh that's a, the other Jimmy Stewart Anthony Mann one I don't like as much. Well they did like three they did or four, five. Five yeah. They did five. The first is Winchester seventy three, which I love. Yeah, that's a good one. And then uh Naked Spur, which I love, Man from Mar- Laramie, which I think is a masterpiece. So far Naked Spur is my favorite. Yeah, a lot of people really like that one the most. Uh Man from Laramie is my gem. But then they had two others, Bend of the River and something else. North something, maybe. And one of them starts with a little bit where he puts a bell on a horse. Hmm. Well, Ben the River's mad good. Uh, I I would recommend. Is that the one where there's the other cowboy guy at the yeah, beginning? Yeah. yeah, he he saves a guy from being hanged, and then they're buddies. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's a real good uh, setup. I love that. that yeah, that was. A good I one. love the fact that like you know, spoiler. Actually, no, fuck it, no spoiler. I I think it's fine because he save he saves a bad person right at the beginning. Okay. And if he hadn't have done that, he wouldn't have an antagonist, like, ultimately, at yeah. the end of the film. And I love the fact, I love a protagonist making a choice early on that gives him an antagonist later on. This is because Anthony Mann was a noir director before mm. he was a Western director. So he directs all his Westerns and he conceives them like film noir, which is such a good combination. Yeah. That was the miracle of the 50s when they figured out, let's just start, you know, with My Darling Clementine was the first one where they're like, let's just push these two together. And yeah, see I watched it- that one recently, too. That was tremendous. I'm I'm really enjoying a lot of the Westerns I've been watching. It's a wonderful genre. Yeah. Just a really wonderful, smart. They're always so much smarter than people tell you they're going to be. Oh, God, yeah. Especially the ones in the middle. Because I think people's conception of the Western now is you have Sergio Leone and he's the best who ever did it. And then there's some like, Really good ones in the 40s and the 50s and everything else you don't have to worry about. But like that just baseline, like your average 1950s Western is so good. Yeah. You know? Especially with Jimmy Stewart. I think he's tremendous in Westerns and I did not expect yeah, that from him at all. he was one of the best. I really didn't. Richard Widmark, for too. For some reason. Oh, did yeah. you uh, did you see The Last Wagon yet where not Richard yet. Widmark pun- punches out an eagle? Ooh, that sounds fun. That sounds real good. <laughs> that sounds real good. Uh, yeah, Naked Spur would be my pick as far as a first, uh, of, of the, of the Anthony Mann, Jimmy Stewart stuff that I've seen so Have you far. seen Man from Laramie yet? Not though? yet, not yet. Yeah, you'll like that one. But, uh, that, that was my first foray and I felt like that was a damn good first foray. 
Uh, well, just the the image of the cowboy climbing up the horse at the end and sobbing. Yeah. You know, that's like the exact image that everybody who hasn't seen Westerns tells you there's nothing like that in Westerns, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. yeah what, so, uh, just like a loaded, powerful image that is. Anthony Mann, y'all. I, I did a couple uh, John Fords. You don't have, I think you don't have the the temperament for Ford. Yeah, I couldn't, I wasn't into stagecoach at all. I liked uh, My Darling Clementine so much. I thought that was a masterpiece. But, uh, and, and The Searchers, I didn't like that much. But uh, yeah, you never struck me like you'd be a yeah. Ford dude. Carl is going through the Fords right now. Okay. So he's been messaging me being like, Wagamaster's so good. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> Peace. Yeah, Anthony Mann definitely seems to be my guy so far. And Demo, Delmar. Uh, Delmar Dave's great. Yeah. I think you'd like Andre de Toth a lot, too. I de like Toth Andre is the really... Giant. Is he anything like that? No. It's different? He was one-eyed. Okay. A lot of them were. Howard Hawks was, Ford was, hmm. de Toth was. I wonder why that was. But um, he had these really just like very brisk, very, uh, you know, he's not going to bog you down with bullshit. It's just usually like. There's some action at the beginning, and we're dealing with it for the rest of it. Yeah, that's what I dug Canyon about. Canyon Passage was really good. Or no, mm. that was Jack Tonya. Springfield Rifle was the Detoth one. The trouble is with the Westerns is the titles don't have any specific bearing on the movie usually. <laughs> right. So like sometimes they'll drift in your mind just to be a different movie. Yeah. But Springfield Rifle's a really good one. I think you'd like that. Yeah, Naked Spur was... I, it, it brings it back to Hateful Eight, actually, where like... There's no more like the hatful eight. Yeah. There's again, no, I want there's to say no that. room for like just hanging out. It's like, there's always something happening in naked spur, but you still get a lot of drama and conflict with these characters that are sort of kind of thrust together that I would have appreciated more happening in the hateful eight. There's yeah, some- like uh real Bravo, which is all hanging out, but it's an hour shorter and like nine times more stuff happens than in hateful eight mm. in real Bravo, which is one of, um, Tarantino's favorite movies, anyway. It's also so weird that, like, we're talking about a movie, Hateful Eight, that's two hours and 47 minutes. All these Westerns that I'm naming, they're, like, between 90 and 100 minutes, sometimes even less. And a lot of a lot of the Poverty Row ones are, like, 70 minutes, yeah. too. Like, flat 70. And so much is accomplished. So yeah. Arguably more is accomplished in those than in Hateful Eight, just even storytelling This goes back to the Casablanca thing. Yeah. There's no good reason... Or at the very least, you would better have a damn good reason to make your movie a frame longer than Casablanca, mm. because there's very little chance you're issuing more information than Casablanca is. Well said. Or more emotion. Well said. I think that's where I to am. end it. What? Nah. Am I living my life? I mean, yeah, probably. That's a good point. You're you're longer than Casablanca, Jenna. Suck it, John. All right. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. I quit. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, John. <laughs>